I am going to teach you a very simple and basic message. That doesn't mean we won't look at a lot of scriptures, because <laughs> we will. But it is a simple gospel, and I am going to present to you in a very simple and basic form about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What that is, what it does, and we're going to answer a series of questions on that. When I am through with the teaching, Apostle Dale is going to come up. He doesn't know this yet, but he's going to. He's going to come up and he's going to give an altar call for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then he and I will lay hands on you and you will receive if you have not yet. Alright? So, let's start with, again, I said basic. Who is the Holy Spirit? God, that's right. In its most simplistic form, the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. Right? My Spirit is Sydney. Right? So, my Spirit is me. Well, God's Spirit is God. We can't make it simpler than that. And the amazing thing is, is that God can do something with His Spirit that I can't do with mine. He can give you a piece, and you a piece, and you a piece, and you a piece, and you a piece. Everyone a deposit. He can be everywhere all at once. My spirit can't do that. It's just right here at this one place. Wherever this, this flesh container goes, my spirit goes with it, right? But God being God is much greater than that. And He has put a deposit in you if you believe. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. And we're going to look at that work further uh, as we go on. Let's, let's, uh, so I asked the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, what are some of His names? Well, He's called the Holy Spirit, obviously. Why would He be called the Holy Spirit? Well, because He is holy, right? See, I said it's going to be simple. Everyone can, can be involved, right? Everyone can answer. So, because He is holy, actually the Word says you and I should be holy because He is holy, Right? And, and as we'll, we'll talk about this later, but our bodies, we, we looked at this over the last several weeks, our bodies being the temple of the Holy Ghost. He lives within us. And so a holy God wants a holy temple. And He's also called, another way He's referred to is just simply the Spirit of God. We see this all through Scripture. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of God. And we can go all the way back to the beginning of time as we know it. You know, God doesn't have a beginning, but as we began counting time, back in Genesis chapter 1, you see that the Spirit of God was there and present at the very beginning of time. In fact, it says the earth was without form and voidless. Uh, voidless, yeah. Without, it was formless and void and all this wild stuff, right? It wasn't a pretty place. And it says that the Spirit of God hovered over it. Now, notice something interesting. Just because the Spirit of God was present doesn't mean anything was happening. It was still formless and void and darkness and even though the Spirit of God was present. So, let's just ask another question. Can the Spirit of God be in dark places? Yes. In fact, the psalmist said, if I made my bed in hell, even He would be there. So, He can be everywhere. We see that when God spoke... Now, who is the Word of God? Jesus. In fact, later in the New Testament, it says Jesus is the one who created the world. 
And that Jesus spoke it out. What Jesus being the Word of God, when God spoke out over the earth, that's when the Holy Spirit went into action and caused creation to begin. And started creating and causing the Word of God to be fulfilled. Remember, I watch over My Word. My Spirit watches over My Word to perform it or to accomplish it. And so, the Spirit of God present from the beginning. He's also called the Spirit of Truth. I just mentioned Jesus is the truth. But in John 14, I'll read. We're going to be in John 14 quite a bit tonight, so um, I'm just going to go there for right now. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus made a claim. And He made a really strong claim. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if He is the way, the truth, and the life, He is also the Spirit of truth. In fact, if you look down in verse 17, He says this. He said He was talking about the Holy Spirit that was going to come. He said, He is the Spirit of truth. Well, He just got done making the claim, I am the truth. But the Spirit of truth, or He could have just said, My Spirit, right, is going to be coming. He's also called the Spirit of life. Now, we had just read in, uh, in Romans 8 in verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life. This is one and the same Spirit. Just calling Him different names. The Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and of death. If, you'll, if you're in Romans 8, if you'll go down to verse 9, here He's called the Spirit of Christ. Again, we're answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? So one of the ways to know who He is is look at His names. What are His names? So, He's the Spirit of life. He's the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Look in verse 9. Here's how it reads. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God lives in you, That's when you've made Him your Lord. Now the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. There's a reoccurring theme there, isn't it? Spirit of life living in you. Also called the Spirit of Christ. If you look down in verse 15, he's called a different name. The Spirit of Adoption. The Spirit of Adoption. And if you look down in 16, he's he's called the Spirit Himself. Now if you're reading a King James Bible, then it's going to say Spirit Itself, but that's not a good translation. It's the word Himself. Uh, uh, Not a good translation of the word that they're translated. Otherwise, I mean, the King James is an excellent translation if you're 300 years old, but... (laughs) Yeah, the new King James, see? So, we have the Spirit of adoption. We have the Spirit Himself. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, calls Him the Spirit of faith. We have the same Spirit of faith. He said, well now where does faith come from? Remember, faith comes from the Word. right? And from hearing the Word. Jesus is the Word. So, the Spirit of faith, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. 
Those are His names. So, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the believer today? What's His function? What's His role? Why do we have a Holy Spirit? Let's go back over to John chapter 14. And in verse 16, begins to explain to us who, what the Holy Spirit's role and function and purpose is going to be. He says in verse 16, Jesus is speaking, He says, and I will ask the Father. Now, Jesus and the Father are not the same Spirit. I mean, not the same person. Jesus and the Father are not the same person. They have the same Spirit. How does that work? I know, it's a miracle. Right? The Spirit of God, He gave that Spirit also to Jesus. And so, he, he, makes, he says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever. Now, this word Counselor is sometimes translated Comforter, but it means legal counsel. I'm your attorney. <laughs> like your legal counsel. It also means Advocate, Intercessor, and Encourager. So the counselor, now hear that in a completely new way, your legal counsel. If you're in a situation and you're, you're in a courtroom and, and what are you going to do if a question comes up? Well, you're going to ask your attorney. He's my counsel, right? Well, this is what the Holy Spirit is to you. If you look down in, uh, keep in that same verse, he says, he's gonna, I'm going to give you another counselor or an advocate to be with you forever. So we see the other thing that he's going to do is it's for companionship. He's going to be a companion to us. In fact, in Matthew, in the Great Commission, Jesus made this statement to the disciples right before He ascended into heaven. He said, remember, I'm with you always. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. How can you be with us when you're getting ready to take an elevator ride to heaven? I mean, you're going to be up there. In fact, the Word says very clearly that He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now. A flesh and bone Jesus. An alive, real Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So how is Jesus making the claim that I'm going to be with you forever? Well, it's by the same Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, that is going to come and provide companionship for you. If you are a Christian, if you love the Lord Jesus, if He's Lord of your life, you are never alone. You are never alone. Someone say, I am not alone. He is with me. So this is all great, but there was, you know, there was a problem. There was that whole sin problem that happened. Remember, He's called the Holy Spirit. Sin isn't holy. And so, issues, right? Well, because of that, if you'll look down in verse 17, here's one of the results of the problem. He says, He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him. But you do know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. See, at this point, the Holy Spirit was not in the disciples yet. But He's going to be in you. And you know Him because you've been hanging out with me and... Like, you know me, right? That's what he's saying to them. And the world, though, the unbeliever is unable to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, we know that that's why Jesus went to the cross. To make a bridge between the sinner and a holy God. And so that they can become vessels, they can become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, the individual must believe. They must Give their life to the Lord. Romans In Romans 10, how does a person become saved? 
You know, if you confess, if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and that he's alive, right? And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is the, that's a real simple truth. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. Well, that's how you make yourself available to the Holy Spirit and you go from being called the world to a saint that fast. If you've been born again, you're a saint. If you've not been born again, you ain't. Simple as that. That's right. Look in chapter 16. 16 verse 7 and 8. Maybe you say, well, yeah, but I've done a lot of bad things since I accepted the Lord. Yes, I understand. And if you've repented of them, He is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all that filthy garbage. In John 16, let's look at verse 7. We're still answering the question, what's the purpose, the role, the function of the Holy Spirit? So we saw that He is our Counselor. We saw that He is our Companion. And um, now let's look at another one of His roles involving the world. In verse 7, He says, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send Him to you. So He's telling them that having the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than having Jesus in the flesh beside you. Having Jesus in you is better than having Him beside you. Alright? So, He goes on and says, when He comes, the Spirit of truth, the Counselor, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not the believer, the world. He will convict the world about these three things. And by convict, it means he, he puts a pull on them. He draws them. He makes Himself available to them. He invites them to the Father. And if someone will say yes to that, there is something amazing that happens on the inside of you. If you go over to John chapter 3, Remember the story of Jesus and Nicodemus? And Nicodemus is asking him these questions. And Jesus says in verse 5, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, what are we seeing here? He causes us to be born again. What is His function in the believer's life? As soon as you accept the invitation that the Lord gives to you, the world, because you were the world at one point, as soon as you accept that invitation and say, I believe Jesus is my Lord, there is a new birth that takes place on the inside of you. A regeneration. A new spirit is born on the inside of you. He also he renews you and He sanctifies you. These are all things that the Holy Spirit does. I'll read two Scriptures to you. You don't need to turn to them. In Titus 3.5, if you're taking notes, it says, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, according to His mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is doing that work. The washing and the regeneration. Romans 15.16 says it this way. He says that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Sanctified, that means set apart. 
set apart. Now, if you're still in um, John 14, that means you didn't follow me to John 3. But let's go back to uh, John 16, I think it is. Yeah, John 16. What's another one of the functions and the roles of the Holy Spirit in you and I's life? It's in verse 13 we'll find. It says, When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, and it's John 16, 13, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. So the first thing we see, He's going to do two things. He's going to guide you into all truth. In Romans 8.14, it says all those led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Right. So everyone who is led by the Spirit is God's Son. So He's going to guide you into all truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. Alright? So He's going to guide you into ultimate truth. Into all truth. And then the next thing He's going to do is He's going to show you things before they happen. Show you what is to come. He will warn you about things so that you can be prepared. He will reveal. Do this so that this happens. And so forth and so forth. Right? So he'll, I'm sure all of us could tell of times that, yeah, we felt like the Spirit of the Lord told us this, and that's exactly how it happened. He was showing you what is to come. So, one more thing. This is not an all-inclusive list, but I said I was going to try to keep it simple. So we said, what is His role in our, in, in our, our life? He's our counselor. He is our companion. He convicts us when we're the world, and then once we become His, He regenerates, renews, and sanctifies us. He guides us into all truth. He shows us things that are going to happen. And then again in verse 13, He says, or verse 14, He will glorify Me, Jesus, because He will take from what is Mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will bring glory to Jesus through your life. Through your life. This is one of His jobs. This is what He does. So now, let's look at what is the difference between as a believer having the Holy Spirit in you. Because that's the moment the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of you. That moment. So, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit... That's the difference between having the Holy Spirit in you for regeneration, for being born again, for leading you, for guiding you, for being your counselor, for all of those things that we just read. So that's the Holy Spirit in you, but when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, now that's the Holy Spirit on you. And we're going to look at these differences from the Word, and what the differences are, and how they work out. You know, having some water in me it's completely different than having water on me. Right? One is visible to you. The other one, when it's in me, isn't exactly visible to you. So this is... <laughs> I hadn't intended on doing that, but yeah. Hopefully the mic you know, doesn't cut out or anything. No, I don't need that. I want the water to be visible so that you all can see 
There's a difference between the Holy Spirit's role in you and the Holy Spirit's role on you. Okay? So here's the simple version of it. The Holy Spirit in you is to be your counselor, to direct you, to lead you into all truth, to guide you. The Holy Spirit on you is to be a witness to other people. Yeah. To serve other people, to minister to other people. And we're going to see uh, uh, example after example of this. So let's go find two places, if you would Luke 24 and Luke 20. I'm sorry, John 20. Luke 24 and John chapter 20. And put a finger in both places because we're going to flip back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like read a verse from each one. What we're going to see is the disciples' salvation, their born-again experience. Now, we're reading the end of the Gospel of Luke and the end of the Gospel of John, and the day of Pentecost has not happened yet. Okay, The day of Pentecost is still off in the future, but we're going to see when the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of them. So if you'll look in verse 1 of Luke 24... It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain others came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb and they didn't find the body of Jesus and the angels were there and said they're resurrected. Okay, if you hold your finger there, jump right over to John 20 verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. So are you tracking with me? Same day, same story, same event, two different people telling it. I figured I'd at least get a nod. Are, are, are you with me? Okay. <laughs> Just making sure. Oh, maybe I have too much water in my eyes and I can't see the nods, you know. Now in Luke 24, look down in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. So this is that same day, the day that Jesus resurrected. They're on the way to the tomb. And um, if what, what happened was Jesus shows up and walks with these two guys and begins to explain the Scripture to them. They were like had all these questions, and so He asks them some questions and really opens up the Scripture to them. And they convince Him to come to their house and sit down for a bite to eat at the end of the day. But the Word says that his, their eyes were kept from seeing who He was. Okay, So at the moment that Jesus takes the bread and blesses it is when their eyes are opened and they realize, that's Jesus! And just like that, He disappears. So in, in Luke 24, if you're still there, in verse 31, their eyes were open, they recognized Him, but He disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while He was talking with us on the road and explaining the Scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those with them gathered together. So this is still all the same day, right? And this is what they said, The Lord has certainly been raised and appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how He had made known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, let's just keep reading there for a moment. Verse 36, And as they were saying these things, so they rushed back, they're telling them this whole story about what had just happened, and as they're in the middle of telling Him, He Himself stood among them. <laughs> He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still could not believe because of their joy and were amazed, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. Hold your finger here and jump back over to John. So this is all the same day. If you'll look down in verse 19, it brings us to the same room. The same day, same evening. In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear for the Jews. Then Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Now this was in the middle of those two guys from Emmaus telling them that whole story that we just read about. Right? So it's the same event. Do you see that? This is important that you understand it's the same happening. So he says, peace to you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this was when they became born again. This was when the Spirit of God came to live on the inside of them. What does it take to believe to become born again, to have that work happen on the inside of you, is to believe with your heart. Well, they had now seen with their eyes His hands, His feet. They saw Him eating. He's standing there talking to Him. They believe He's been raised from the dead. So that's the first qualification that has to take place. The second is, is their expression of we believe is, well, exactly that. Jesus is Lord. It's your confession with your mouth. And that's when we are born again, when we're saved. Well, these guys, when Jesus leans over and goes, <sighs> breathes on them, right? And I'm sure it smelled great because, you know, he just ate honey, so it was fine. <laughs> the thing is, is do you think that maybe he was just a trial run? He was trying to jump start the church, receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, because Pentecost hasn't come yet. So maybe it's like, Oh, that didn't take. Lord, what are we going to do? Oh, don't worry about it. I'll fix it in a couple weeks. Is that what happened? I'll send you know the day of Pentecost. No, this is very clearly two separate events. And when Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, guess what? They're going to receive the Holy Spirit right then and there. And how do we know that the Spirit of God came to live on the inside of them? That they were now believers? Go back over with me to back to Luke 24. Verse 45 that we had written, he says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Their minds were opened when the Spirit of Christ came on the inside of them. Revelation came. Light came. In fact, what's more in, in 2 Corinthians 3, it says this. He says, but there, it's talking about the Israelites. It says, Their minds were closed, for to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains, the veil over their mind. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. This veil over their understanding is only set aside in Christ. It says, even to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, this is what the disciples had just done, the veil 
is removed. That's when you become born again. You turn to the Lord, the veil's removed. Why is the veil removed? Because the Spirit of life is on me, in me, and it sets me free from the law of sin and death. Okay? So we're looking at, we're establishing, we're, gonna, we're answering the question, what's the difference between the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit on you? And we're establishing that the disciples have the Holy Spirit in them. The day of Pentecost, unlike a lot of people say, was not when they were born again. It was all the way back here in John chapter 20 and in Luke 24 is when they became born again. Now, if you're still in Luke 24, let's keep reading. He also said to them in verse 46, this is what is written, and thus it was necessary that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You, talking to the disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending upon you, or on you, what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city of Jerusalem until you are empowered from on high. He didn't say, I'm sending into you the Holy Spirit. He's sending, he said, I'm sending it on you. Remember the obvious visible difference of water in me versus water on me? Well, He is saying, I'm in you now. I'm going to send... The promise is going to come down on you. He says, go to Jerusalem. Don't, don't go from there. Stay there until this promise arrives and you are clothed with power is what this, how this word is, is a literal translation means to be endued with power or, or clothed with power. Stay in Jerusalem until I send you a garment of power. Now, where do garments belong? In you or on you? On you, right? Don't eat your clothes. You're not a moth. So clothes belong on you. You're going to be clothed with power is what Jesus said to the disciples. All right, Luke, who wrote this, he also wrote the book of Acts. Let's go over to Acts chapter 1. So can we all see clearly the disciples have the Holy Spirit in them already? But the day of Pentecost hasn't come yet. The Holy Spirit has not yet come on them. If you'll look in verse 4, <clears throat> while He was together with them, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Sounds a whole lot like what we just read, right? He says, this is what you heard from me. For John baptizes with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Baptized means to be completely whelmed. Okay? When you baptize someone in water, they go completely under the water. You know, Again, there's a little bit of difference between having a little bit of water in a boat or having the boat full of water. Right? Radical difference. So that's, that's what we're talking here. So he says you're going to be completely immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. Everyone say power. You will, this is the word dunamis, and, and you know, I don't think any of us are, are Greek or Hebrew scholars, but in the original language, it's where we get the word dynamite from. 
Okay? So we're talking power. Explosive power. Not authority, but power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is past tense. I think the King James says after that the Holy Spirit has come on you. So when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. Bam. What's the purpose of that power? We're talking the Holy Spirit on you. That garment that will come on you. What's the purpose of it? He says, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we know that the disciples did not cover the entire earth. They didn't go to the ends of the earth. They weren't at the North Pole. They weren't at the South Pole. They weren't in all the other places. We know that. Because they say where they went. Alright? So they didn't go to the ends of the earth. So if your mind is well saying that, well, um, this was just to the disciples, not to everyone, well, this is an ongoing command. Just like when Jesus at the Great Commission said, go and teach and preach and make disciples of all nations, of every people group. It's an ongoing command. So it doesn't just stop. In fact, in Mark 16, Jesus said, you know, these signs are going to follow them that believe. He's now talking past the disciples. Right? These signs are going to follow them that believe. And He gives a list of signs. Well, that's what happens when the garment being endued with power, the Holy Spirit comes on you. Look over into so so Jesus ascends, okay? He ascends, and the disciples, about 120 of them, um, get together. And now let's go to chapter two. <clears throat> this is um, ten days after Jesus has ascended, so they've been waiting for ten days. How's the Holy Spirit going to show up? Well, we don't know. Maybe He's going to knock at the door. Maybe He'll just come through the wall like Jesus did. Do you know what the Holy Spirit looks like? No, I don't. Have you seen Him? No, I haven't. Oh, I don't know. He said to wait. So let's just wait. Let's just, let's just be glad Jesus is alive. Let's wait until He comes. Right? They don't know how He's going to show up. And in verse, in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house. So not just a slight breeze, but I mean it sounded like a violent wind. Filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, just a note, it doesn't say it was wind. It doesn't say it was fire. It sounded like wind. It looked like fire. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. So they're all filled now. They had the Holy Spirit in them before, but this is different. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is being endued with power. And what happens? They begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables them. And in verse 5, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred... Must have been a noisy event. The multitude came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed and saying to one another, look, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our native language? And if you read, there's I believe like 17 languages listed here. And they are 
We hear in verse 11, we hear them speaking our own languages, the magnificent acts of God. So they're glorifying God. Isn't that one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit? Glorify God. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? What is this? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. They're drunk. Now, how does... How do drunk people act? Have you ever seen a drunk person speaking in tongues? I mean, when you get drunk, do you somehow start mysteriously speaking in other languages or languages you don't know or in tongues? No. When you get drunk, your speech is slurred. Your motor skills are impaired. You might stumble easily. You might fall down. You might laugh. Right? All symptoms of drunkenness, and apparently the symptoms were a whole lot like being drunk because they're saying, what is this? I don't know, they're drunk. See, they're drunk. So they, they look like they're drunk. And it's convincing enough that Peter needs to address it. He can't go on and let them think they're drunk. Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice. He proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only nine in the morning. We haven't had time to get drunk yet. It's only nine o'clock. They're not drunk. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all all humanity, then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out My Spirit on My male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. God's not a respecter of persons. No. He's a respecter of faith though. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he goes on and he continues to preach. And if we'll just jump down and look at verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are afar off. You and I were afar off. Our day was far, far away from then, but it still remains for you and I. Now, go over to chapter 4. Now, the Holy Spirit had come on them. There's miraculous healings. There's miracles happening. There's the guy at the gate, beautiful, that Peter and John walked by. The lame guy never walked. He's healed miraculously. It's a, it's a gift of the Spirit, an empowerment of the Spirit, like clothing that came on them, and this man is boom, healed in a moment. Well, there's a riot that happens because of that. Because people are like, how is this working? And, and so they preach in, at the temple and, and the temple police show up and arrest them. And now they're in front of the court system and, and the Jewish court system is saying, you can't preach this stuff anymore. And they're saying, no, we're going to obey God. And if you look down, now they were released and they go back to their people, back to their company, back to their church, back to the other believers. And in verse 29, 
They prayed and they said, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your word with complete boldness. Now, remember, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's to get, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come on you. Why? So that you can be a witness. So that you can be a witness. So that you can speak boldly. So they're asking, Lord... Help us to speak boldly, verse 30, while you stretch out your hand for healing, signs, and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy Son, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled. Everyone say filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's Word with boldness. They began to witness boldly. Do you see that? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Peter and some of these disciples, like in the first eight chapters of, of Acts, they're something filled like five times where they experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to come on you to enable you to do the work of God, that's not just a one-time event. Okay, You can have that again and again and again and again, and, and we'll talk about that um, later. Now, let's go over to chapter 6. Let's just continue to see how this works. Remember, we're still answering the question of the difference between the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit on you. The Holy Spirit in you is to regenerate you, cause you to be born again. He's your counselor. He's your comforter. He, he sanctifies you. He leads you into all truth. Right? He glorifies the Father through you. <clears throat> in chapter 6, just make another note of what happens when someone's full of the Holy Spirit. This is talking about Stephen. And it says in verse 5, it says Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. Not just within him, he's full of it. Well, what happens in verse 8? It says Stephen, full of faith and power. Again and again and again, you'll see that when someone's full of the Holy Spirit or when he's on them, that power is present. The Holy Spirit and power are not one and the same thing. Okay? Just because the Holy Spirit's present doesn't mean power is present. But the Holy Spirit and the power. And, and what was the result of this power? Well, He was performing great wonders and signs among the people. This is a hallmark of being full of the Holy Spirit. Look over into chapter 8 now. So Stephen has been stoned. He's just been put to death. He's the first martyr. Persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, um, the people, believers scatter. And in verse 4, it says, Those who scattered went on their way, preaching the Word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and preached the Messiah to them. The crowd paid attention with one mind to what Philip said. As they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and astounded the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, 
as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then even Simon himself believed. That means he was saved. And after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. <clears throat> so are they believers here? Have they been born again? So the Spirit of Christ has come and taken up residence on the inside of them now, right? Alright, so they have the Holy Spirit. Agreed? Okay. Verse 14, When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had welcomed God's Word, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For He had not yet come down on. Say on. He had not come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So He's in them. He just isn't on them yet. They're not clothed with power yet. And so then it says in verse 17, then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now you'll see this happen again and again. It doesn't always happen with the laying on of hands. We'll look at a case where it wasn't. But again and again, at the laying on of hands is when they would receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> verse 18, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. So here's the thing. Simon was able to see a visible result when they would say receive the Holy Spirit and lay hands on them. This is not what happened. Jacob received the Holy Spirit. Simon, he's standing over here. He goes, I want to be able to do that. Here, I'll pay you money so that I can do that too. Well, you don't have to pay anyone money. Everyone can do that. Walk up and lay your hands on them and nothing happens. Right? Something visible happened that made them go, oh, wow, look at that. He laid hands on them and boom! They were filled. The Holy Spirit came on them. Power showed up. And what did they do? I don't know. They probably prophesied. They probably spoke in tongues. They, maybe miracles happened. But there was something that happened that was very, very visible and easy to see. So he wants to purchase it, right? Well, Peter says, no way. Your heart's not right in this. You need to repent and so forth. Go over to chapter 9 now. Now, depending on what timeline, which, which historian you're listening to, this was between two to six years after Pentecost now. Two to six years after Pentecost. And so the church has already started. It's been going for several years. At, at a minimum, two years. And this Saul, the persecutor, right? He goes down to Damascus and to persecute the church. Well, on the way, bright light shines. He falls down. He's blinded. Jesus asks him, why are you persecuting me? And then He tells him, you need to go into the city and someone will tell you what to do. So they lead Saul into the city. And in the meantime, a fellow named Ananias has a vision or a dream. In the night, the Lord comes to him and says, Ananias, yeah, here I am. That's the right thing to say when the Lord says your name. Here I am. All right? And he says, I want you to go into the city. Gives him the address. Show you things that are yet to come. Sound familiar? Gives him the address. Tells him where to go. And then he says, um, 
Ananias goes, well, that's that persecutor guy. We all know why he's here. Sure, you, you got your wires all straight on this one, Lord? Lord says, yeah, go. So, if you'll look in chapter 9, verse 17. So, Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, now how come he's calling him brother already? Well, if you go back to the road when he was laying out there on the road, Saul was out there already calling the Lord, Lord. He already believed at that moment. You know, revelation can cloud so much wrong thinking and deception and religiosity. Just some light and revelation from the Lord and boom, all that goes away and is cleared. Well, that's what happened in a moment of time for him. And and Ananias, uh, he comes in, lays his hands on him, says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight. And he's already a believer. He already has the Spirit of God in him. Receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Now, it doesn't say here that Paul spoke in tongues in this moment, but in 1 Corinthians 14, it does tell us Paul made the statement. He said, I speak in tongues more than all y'all. Alright? He spoke in tongues, definitely, and I imagine he probably did there. It doesn't say that. If you look now over into chapter 10, this is 8 to 11 years after the day of Pentecost. You know, some people... They believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, that they've passed away. That they are no longer for our current time. That was just to get the church jump-started. Well, this is 8 to 11 years later. And when you show them, you say, well, there was two different... The Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit on you were two separate events again and again and again. Yeah, 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 but that was just to get the church jump-started just to get it going. Well, how long does it take the Lord to get it going? It's 8 to 11 years later now. Right? And so, there's a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. He's a centurion. He's a Gentile man. He, he loves the Lord. He's done many things for the Jewish people. He's always praying. He sees this vision. And the Lord says, hey, go, go call Peter. Send men to call Peter. Well, you know the story. Peter's on the housetop. He has a vision. That sheet is left down with all the unclean animals. The Lord says, kill and eat. And while he's wondering about this vision, the Spirit of God shows up and says, hey, there's some men down at the gate for you. Shows you things that are yet to come. There's men down there at the gate for you. Go with them. Okay, so he takes some people with him. He goes. They arrive at Cornelius' house a few days later. Ask, why are we here? Cornelius tells them. And Peter, in verse 34, begins to preach. Then Peter began to speak. In truth, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears Him and does righteousness is acceptable to Him. He sent the Word to the sons of Israel proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit, which is also power. Notice that? So there is a difference. Holy Spirit and power. And what was the result of him having 
the, being anointed with the Holy Spirit and power while he went around doing good and curing all who were under the oppression of the enemy. So he goes on preaching for only a paragraph. Really short sermon. I mean, he just started. And these people believed. They heard that first couple sentences and they're like, yeah, I believe that. And the Lord doesn't delay when you believe. He enters. He comes, right? Let's look at what happens in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the Word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on, not in, on the Gentiles also. For they, how did they know? For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. So here, just notice something. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, their regeneration and becoming born again, everything happened in one, one moment. This time, nobody laid hands on anyone. It was just they, faith was in that room. And it all happened at once. Bam. You know, some people, they get filled with the Holy Spirit later, after they become born again. Other people, it happens immediately. Well, because maybe it gets offered immediately. Or like some people, like John, when he gets baptized, he comes up out of the water speaking in tongues, not knowing you're not supposed to do that in that place where he was at. Everyone looking at him like, whoa, what's that? Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these from being baptized who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. So they became believers and filled with the Holy Spirit, everything in one fell swoop. Now, go with me to Acts chapter 19. This is now approximately 25 years after Pentecost. 25 years. And this is not that the Lord had to jumpstart the church. No, this is just the way things are. What we're going to read is still possible today. So 25 years later, it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then, with what baptism were you baptized? He asked them. With John's baptism, they replied. See, if you back up to the previous chapter, it says that there was a man named Apollos who um, in verse 25, it says he was powerful in the Scriptures. He came to Ephesus and he said this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught the things about Jesus accurately, although he knew only of John's baptism. Alright, so they believed in Jesus. They were born again, but there was things they didn't know. And so Paul says, John's bap- in verse 4 of 19, John said, or Paul said, John's baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. See, it doesn't say in them. The correct translation is on them. And they began to speak in other tongues 
and to prophesy, and there were about 12 men in all. So again and again, we see at the laying on of hands, people would receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I've, I've witnessed this myself again and again and again. I have also prayed for people over the telephone and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to be present. What has to be present is faith. Just like when Peter was preaching to all those people, there's not a certain formula it has to happen in. He was preaching and faith is what brought it to pass. But much of the church today doesn't realize that, oh, being born again, yes, I have the Holy Spirit, but no, I've never been actually clothed with power, clothed with the Holy Spirit. I've never had Him come on me. And this is for all the church today. <clears throat> is it alright if we go later than last week? Yeah. Let's go further. And let's talk a little bit about tongues. Let's clear some brush and just put out some simple things on tongues. So we see there's a difference. Again and again in the New Testament, there was a difference between the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit on you. Well, there's also two kinds of tongues. Two that we're going to look at tonight. If we did a more in-depth teaching, we could look at even other kinds. But we're going to look at two in particular tonight. So go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What is tongues? I remember reading these back when I was a follower of Men of Simons. Mennonite. And um, reading these verses and going, I wonder what that was. And just, I don't know. Keep reading. Go to something I understand. Anyone else like that? That's how, I, how, how it was for me. And then praise the Lord. I came across Revelation and was taught the way more accurately. And I believed. And He came and made Himself at home on me. Alright, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual things. And above all, that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking... Now, some translations, especially the newer ones, just say another language. And really that is accurate. Because that's what the word literally is translated as language. But usually we refer to it as in tongues because most of us grew up with translations that called it that. But either way, it doesn't matter. Just know we're talking about the same thing. Other languages, other tongues. It's not talking about known languages though. You'll see that in a moment. So, verse 2. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to men, but to God. Since no one understands Him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. I am emphasizing these words for a very deliberate reason. No one understands it. This is not some known language that if the right person was in the room, they would understand it. No. It says no man understands it. Secondly, it says He's speaking to God, not to man. So why would any man need to understand it? Thirdly, he says he's speaking to God. Or no, I already said that. Or did, did I? Yeah. There was a third reason in there somewhere. Oh, mysteries. Mysteries, thank you. The third one is, is he's speaking mysteries. If it's a language somebody knows, it's not a mystery, is it? 
So he's speaking to God. He is speaking in an unknown tongue. And he is speaking mysteries to God. Everyone say, to God. Mysteries. Mysteries. All right. So this is what we would commonly refer to as praying in tongues. Praying. What He says he's speaking to God. What's that called? Prayer. Right. That's why we call it praying in tongues. If you really want to be exact as the Scripture, then you just say speaking in tongues to the Lord. But praying in tongues to the Lord. Same thing. And in verse 3, the person who prophesies speaks to people. Not to God. To people. It's God speaking through them to people. Right? It's not the people speaking to God. It's God speaking to people. The person who prophesies speaks to people. Here's the purpose of it. For edification, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. I want all of you to speak in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Now the tongues he's talking about that he wants everyone to speak in is the tongue is the prayer language to God. He's not talking about speaking to people in a tongue. We'll see that in just a little bit. But we, what, what he was, what's the context? Speaking to God, mysteries, unknown tongue. And he says, I wish all of you would do this. I want all of you to speak this way. But even more than you speaking to God, I want God to speak to you all, to prophesy. That's why he's saying that. I mean, which is better? You speaking to God or God speaking to you? Yeah, God speaking to you. I'd much rather listen to him all day than him listen to me all day. He has something to say. So he's saying in verse 6. Actually, before we go further, let's, let's talk about praying in tongues. Because that's different. No, let's read verse 6 first. But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, is this now speaking to God? No. Very clear difference. One is speaking to God, mysteries, no one understands it. The other one is speaking to people now. If I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching or unless it's interpreted? Right? If it's interpreted, that would be the same as prophecy because you would know what it meant. So in chapter 12, we're not going to go there, but in chapter 12, you'll see the gifts of the Spirit listed. And one of, uh, two of those are um, speaking to people in tongues and interpreting those tongues. Those are gifts of the Spirit. That's not the same thing as your prayer language, which is to God, not to people. He makes that distinction very clear. So let's go back to talking about praying in tongues for a little bit because like Paul said, I want all of you to do that. Everyone can do that. Everyone should do that. Why do I say we should do that? Well, if you look back up in verse 4. No, yeah, 4. The person who speaks in another tongue, is talking about speaking to God, builds himself up. Charges himself up. Energizes himself up. Well, why? Well, hold your finger here. Let's look at Jude, the book of Jude chapter 20. <clears throat> He says here, you dear friends, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying 
in the Holy Spirit. This is praying in tongues. This is speaking to God in other tongues, praying in the Spirit. Why can I say it's the same thing? Well, if you're still holding your finger over here in 1 Corinthians 14, if you look down in verse 14, he says, if I pray in another tongue, my Spirit prays. That's praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in tongues. And here's what happens. It builds yourself up. And verse 21 in Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Building yourself up, allowing the Lord to charge you up by praying in tongues, also keeps you in His love. Keeps you in the love of God. Another example where we read about praying in tongues is in Ephesians. Where in Ephesians 6.18 it says, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. How do you pray in the Spirit? We're even told to sing in the Spirit. Right? Spiritual songs. And so, you can sing in tongues, you can pray in tongues unto the Lord. Let's go back over to 1 Corinthians 14. Actually, no, let's um, go all the way to Romans 8. 8.26 <clears throat> We're looking at the purpose of praying in tongues. The reason for speaking a tongue to people is to accomplish something in them. To give a message from the Lord to them. If there's an interpretation given with that tongue, it's like a prophecy. The Lord said something to us. But if you're saying it to God, it's if I'm speaking to the Lord in tongues, it's not to you. It's mysteries. It's none of your business what I'm saying. Some people don't like when you pray in tongues in church because they go, well, it's supposed to be interpreted. No, not your prayer language isn't. Furthermore, I wasn't talking to you. If I'd have been talking to you, then that would need to be interpreted. But I was talking to God, so mind your own business. I mean, I know I'm, I'm being blunt, but it's still true. And when sometimes I will make the statement, I'll say, okay, everybody just pray in the Spirit. Okay, let's all talk to God about this. And what does that do? One is it builds us up, charges us up, Something else that happens in it is we'll find right here in Romans 8 in verse 26. It says, In the same way the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Or you could just say tongues. It's not a known language. It's mysteries. It's unspoken groanings. For he who searches the heart knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is a key phrase. Praying in tongues is your spirit praying to the Father. Praying in tongues is your spirit praying out the will of God to the Father. See, you and I can pray selfishly in English. You know, Lord, cause it to snow this week. I really miss the snow. Someone else is saying, Lord, cause it to rain. Someone else is saying, Lord, make the weather nice. We wanted to go out to the park and play with the kids. Right? So all these self-centered prayers. <laughs> Are you with me? And so, that's not what this is about. Praying in tongues is not ever going to be a self-centered prayer or a selfish prayer. It is the will of God. It's the Spirit interceding in accordance with the will of God and praying out mysteries, mysteries to the Lord. You don't know what it's saying, but He does. He understands it perfectly. And it's your spirit, man, praying. In fact, in um, 
where I'd read earlier in 1 Corinthians 14 where he said, if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. My understanding is going, huh? What's that? That sounded weird even. In fact, you sounded really repetitive. And didn't you say that phrase a little bit ago? It's probably just, you're just probably making stuff up. See, your mind is unfruitful because it doesn't understand it. It's mysteries. But by faith, you know that no, it's making a whole lot of sense to somebody. The one that matters. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you'll see this played out some more of the purpose of praying in tongues. And why am I emphasizing this when we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because a lot of people get hung up on this thing. And it is the gateway to a lot of other things that the Lord will want to do in you. Why? Well, because when you pray in tongues and it builds you up, you become more sensitive and aware to the Spirit of God on the inside. You become more aware of what He's whispering to you to do. And His leading and His prompting. And so suddenly, you become now more available for the other gifts of the Spirit to flow through you for you to be a witness, for you to be do it in boldness and confidence and all these things. So praying in tongues does this. Not speaking to people in tongues, but speaking to God in tongues. Alright, let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 7. On the contrary... He was saying we don't speak wisdom from this world. In verse 7, on the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery which God predestinated before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew it. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what has never come into a man's heart is what God has prepared for those who love Him. And now, God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the concerns of a man except the Spirit of the man that is in him? And in the same way, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God in order to do what? To know in order to know what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by some human wisdom, or you could say by human language, in our understanding, in our language. He says, but those, those words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to know it since it is evaluated spiritually. So that's why your brain is sitting there and like Paul said, your mind is unfruitful while you're praying in the Spirit and getting charged up and built up. But here's what happens if you start to be sensitive on the inside. Suddenly, a thought will come floating up on the inside. I should pray for so and so. This is the Lord leading you. Right there, you stop and you pray for that person. And once you're run out of English to pray or Spanish or whatever language you're talking, Pennsylvania Dutch, once you're done with that, switch back over to tongues and speak mysteries in the Spirit to God until something else floats up in you. And you can stop and pray this out and say, Lord, what am I saying? 
How should I pray in English with my understanding? Paul went on in 1 Corinthians 14 and he said, my mind's unfruitful, so what am I going to do? I'm going to pray. He said, I'm going to speak in other tongues. I'm also going to speak with my understanding. I'm going to sing in other tongues. I'm also going to sing with my understanding. So, pray it out in tongues. Sounds weird. Sounds silly. Don't worry about it. The Lord gets it. He knows it. doesn't matter how it sounds. <clears throat> if we go back to 1 Corinthians 14, I want to very quickly cover the other part of tongues. Speaking to people. I want to just mention something to you. 1 Corinthians 14. So, in verse 6 is where he... He talks about, okay, now if I come to you speaking, not to God anymore, to you speaking in other tongues, it needs to be interpreted. And then he, throughout the passage, he switches back and forth a few times about praying in tongues versus speaking to people in tongues. And then down in verse 26, he says, how is it then, brothers? He's now talking about speaking to people in tongues. Whenever you come together, each one of you has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation let everything be done for edification. If any person speaks in another tongue, saying to people, because that's the context, this is not the tongue to God. If anyone speaks in another tongue, there should be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and someone must interpret. So do you see, this is not the one that's to God. Because God could listen to all of us pray in tongues at the same time and get all of it. Not just two or three. You know, we might overwhelm him. So he's not talking about tongues to God. He's talking about tongues to people. And that it should be in order. It should be two or three. And then have someone interpret it. And so, I just say in this house, you know, we welcome tongues to people. We welcome tongues to God. Alright? And if you feel like, man, the Lord's given me a tongue to people. I should put out this tongue. Obey the Lord. You do that part and then pray, Lord, give me the interpretation or give someone else the interpretation what's the interpretation lord and we'll stop we'll take a moment we'll ask the lord for it we'll wait on him and then he'll give it and we'll go on if none comes well then we're not going to keep on going on in, in the tongue because there's no interpretation neither are we going to go oh naughty you you missed it see you gave a tongue and there wasn't an interpretation really or maybe someone's just not bold enough to give it maybe they even have a really good reason for not wanting to give it but you still give it if it's the Lord, right? Because it's not about us. It's about Him and about ministering to others. So, he, he describes that and how that works there. And then if you'll look down in verse 39, Therefore, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in other tongues. Let everything be done. Or everything must be done. It doesn't say hinder the gifts of the Spirit in the church. Like a lot of churches are today. They don't allow those things in the sanctuary. But no, he doesn't say that. He says everything must be done. You know, I haven't heard a tongue here in a while. The tongues are supposed to be done, right? I haven't heard the other gifts of the Spirit just real frequently. So, let everything be done. And he says how? Decently, honorably, or honestly is what this word means. And by order. You're not going to have everything go off all at once. Like just fireworks, right? That's what it means decently and in order. It's by order. If we all stand up and go, right now the order is we're just going to pray to God in, in the Spirit, well then it's proper and right to pray in the Spirit. 
You can pray for yourself in the Spirit. You can pray for someone else in the Spirit. But now if you're going to deliver a message in tongues, now put your faith out there for the interpretation. Should everybody pray in tongues? Yeah, Paul said, I want you all to pray in tongues. In verse That was in chapter 14, up in the beginning verses. So, let's go back now to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Almost every time that it talked about people being filled with the Holy Spirit, it often talks about speaking in tongues and glorifying God. And so it's usually the first sign that you see that, oh, that person has been filled with the Spirit. They're speaking in other tongues. So it's also, so just looking in the Word, we can expect the Lord to work through us in that way. So let's ask another question. Do I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know, the Holy Spirit's in me. I believe. But do I need to be clothed with that? Maybe that's a little bit far out there. I mean, me and my people weren't raised this way. We don't do that whole tongues, gifts of the Spirit, wild man stuff. So I'm just happy with Him in me. Do I have to have it on me? Well, in Acts chapter 1, He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And here's the reason for you to be His witness. Are we all supposed to be witnesses? Then you're going to need the power that accompanies it. The enablement of God helping you. Further, it's commanded in Scripture that you as a believer need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. So we're commanded to be filled. And this word is a continuous, ongoing action. And if we'd say it today, we'd say be being filled. Be constantly filled. The... Uh, ISV translation says it this way, keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-time event. If you've been filled with the Spirit before, you can be filled again. Now I mentioned Menno Simons earlier, and me being raised Mennonite, we didn't believe in all of these things. It, a movement had come, and come through the Mennonite church when I was a little tiny baby, and so I knew nothing about it. So by the time I reached this stage in life where I was hearing it for the first time, I'm 24 years, no, 28 years old. I don't know, it's been a while ago. And um, I'm hearing these things for the first time and I start doing some study and I come across some things that I was completely astounded by. I realized that the Anabaptist movement, the Mennonite movement, was a Spirit-filled movement from the very beginning. And I found writings and different things by the Anabaptist forefathers that had, like, this was the, they, the whole ball of wax is what they were about. All of God. And through the years, things had crept in. Things were cut out. History was changed. Things weren't talked about anymore. And Menno Simons wrote a book. And the Mennonites get their name from Menno Simons. And the reason I talk about Mennonites a lot in this house is because I was one, Right? So, Menno Simons, he said this, regarding speaking in tongues as a regular part of the Christian walk, in his writing, he has a book called An Explanation of Christian Baptism in the Water from the Word of God. And under chapter title, How the Holy Apostle Practiced Baptism in the Water, he wrote in regards to Peter, this is what Menno writes, for although he was previously informed by a heavenly vision that he might go amongst the Gentiles and teach them the gospel, 
Yet he refused to baptize the pious, noble, and godly centurion and his consorts so long as he did not see that the Holy Spirit was descended on them, that they spoke with tongues and glorified God. But when Peter plainly saw that they were truly believing and that the Spirit was descending on them, he said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Behold, kind reader. This is Menno still writing. Here you are plainly taught that Peter commanded that those only should be baptized who had received the Holy Ghost, who spoke with tongues and glorified God. Thus, the practice of Peter was in accordance with the commandment of Christ in Mark 16.16. You won't hear that preached in the Mennonite church. But yet, that was the foundation. Why do I bring that up? Because it doesn't matter what our foundation was. What matters is where you are today. If you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit, whether you were Baptist, Mennonite, something else, right? What matters is He wants to absolutely fill you with His Holy Spirit and to come within and upon you in a mighty way. So how do you receive? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? How, how do I step into the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In Luke, Luke 11, it tells us the first step to it. If you believe if Jesus is the Lord of your life, of course, that's going to be the first step. And then in Luke chapter 11, he says in verse 9, I'm going to read in the New King James. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to whom who knocks it will be opened. Notice it does not say that whoever the Lord sees fit to give things to, He'll give them to. It doesn't say that. It's not just according to what God wills. God's will doesn't automatically happen. We have a big part to play in whether His will happens in our life or not. We have to yield to Him. We have to submit to Him. We have to desire Him. So if you desire Him, then the next thing that comes is you must ask Him. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Why do I know He's talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? The obvious answer is no, 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 of course not. So he makes this observation. If you then, being evil, you know, we have sinned, we've missed it, we've done all these things, right? And Jesus never did. God never has. But he's saying, even with all of that going on for you, even the bad fathers wouldn't do this. Right? Give, give them a snake for a piece of bread or something. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So you have to ask Him. Next, you have to yield yourself. Allow it. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He doesn't just come on you with a roar and I, there was nothing I could do about it. He just started speaking in tongues through me. No, that's not true. 
It is always by your choice. You yield yourself and you allow the Holy Spirit. And the more you yield to Him, the more He'll come in and, and move and operate and glorify Jesus. If you um, think, well, I'm just going to wait for the Lord to move my mouth to give a prophecy or the Lord to move my tongue, you will never give one. Ever. Because that's not yielding. That's not being willing to step out in faith. If you desire it, and the Word says desire it earnestly, doesn't it? So we're to earnestly desire these things. They only come by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we need that. So we're going to ask, and then we're just going to yield and allow the Lord to work through us. And to minister to us and in us and through us. Dale, Apostle Dale, would you come please? And... Um, you can put on any polishing touches that you like and then do as the Lord leads you. Amen. Did that stir you up like it stirred me? Yes. Amen. I, uh, I can't overemphasize the importance that you step into a spirit-filled life. And I know that if you're here tonight and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you've never spoken out in other tongues in your prayer language, well, that's available for you tonight. And we, we want to have the opportunity to lay hands on you and pray with you. It, it's a gift. And so guess what? It's as easy as Christmas morning. Amen. You just simply need to come forward and, and you'll be swept up in the river. In fact, Terry and I used to make jokes about people that would start talking to us, you know, because they know you're pastor, you know, and you speak in tongues, you're crazy. And But they'd come back and ask a few questions. They'd go read a book. They'd come back, ask a few more. And we would giggle and laugh and say, you get close to a slippery creek bank, you're going to fall in. Amen. But I also have it in my heart tonight, and I'm sure the pastor agrees, that some of us get a little stale in our spiritual walk. He mentioned how in the first five or six chapters of the uh, book of Acts, how the, the disciples, the apostles, were filled repeatedly. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, is, is not quite like salvation in this aspect as well. You don't get saved again, right? Now, you might repent of a sin and, and re, reacquaint yourself with the Lord and you have a, a fresh abiding relationship with him but but in the same sense with the baptism of the holy spirit there was a moment in time my lord 40 some years ago when i was baptized in the holy spirit but i got filled in the holy ghost this afternoon i, I was seeking the lord in fact it's fun i was telling terry in the car you know i was praying about what to preach next at, in lancaster pastor asked me to preach here in the future and uh, I was praying about it, and the Lord said, preach on the person of the Holy Spirit. So I walk in here tonight, and I think, well, glory to God, we're in the flow, right? You just need to stir yourself up. And sometimes we get a little clogged up on the inside. You, 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 you know, your own prayer language needs to flow like a river flowing out of you. Amen? If it's an effort to speak in tongues, you're not flowing. I learned that by, by uh, being discipled by a brother uh, when I was very young in the Lord. And I found out that if I'd spend a little bit of extra time praying in the Holy Ghost, I'd find myself praying in the Holy Ghost while I was doing my job, while I'm walking around, because it bubbles up. Amen. And, and many times, though, we get burdened with cares, 
worries, stress, financial pressure, grief. Someone's been fighting the spirit of grief here tonight. You know, as you pray in the Holy Ghost, there's a purifying that goes on. You just kind of, it's not quite projectile vomiting, but you get it out. <laughs> Amen. Is there anyone here? Let's stand up. Is there anyone you'd like to, and don't be ashamed about this, praise the Lord. Uh, it's not a shameful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's like the price is right. I mean, ring the bell, come running down. If you'd like to be filled with the Holy Ghost and you've never had hands laid on you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is there anyone here tonight? Look, look around to your neighbor. Here's one. Brother, come on down here. We want to pray with you. Here's another. Hallelujah. Amen. Just come on boldly down. Come on boldly down. Praise the Lord. And while they're coming, if you've, you really felt convicted while I was talking about a fresh uh, being stirred up, if that's you, you come on down. Amen. Brother, can we move this out of the way? If you need a fresh reset, come on down here. Let the Spirit of God flow. Because there's power on the other side. This is encouraging. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Amen. He is, isn't He? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. As you pray in the Holy Spirit, and go on, just start congregation. Join us. And as the pastor said, pray to the Father in another tongue. Pastor instructed us, really, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then the Father's your Father. Then he said, ask. So it's not something he's going to give you if you don't ask. You're not going to have it forced on you. So we've taken that step tonight. Acts 2, it says, And they were filled and they began to speak. The Holy Ghost isn't going to take over and do the speaking. You have to begin to speak. You, you have to speak out words. That yielding the pastor talked about is taking that first step and saying out of your spirit what you feel, sense, or hear. And that begins to flow as a language. And it's like pulling a thread. It'll come tumbling out like rivers of living water. Amen. Isn't God good, Pastor? Come on up here with me. We're going to lay hands on these three first, and then we'll lay hands on all of them. Jesus, they told me Jesus is the Lord of their life, so they qualify. Now, the Bible said when we lay hands on you, they receive. So that's when you're going to receive. Amen. And what I want you to do, you can close your eyes however you focus on the Lord. But out of your spirit, where, where hunches come from, not out of our head. The Bible says, I'll, I'll speak in English or I'll speak in the spirit. It's, where, it's, it, it, it's that part where I know that Jesus is my Lord, where the spirit bears witness with my spirit. You, there'll be words. And as you begin to speak them, they'll begin to flow. Come on, church, don't, don't, don't let me down now. We need participators, not spectators. That's right. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, we lay hands on our brother in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, he's come forward and asked to be filled with the Holy Ghost and endued with power. And Father, we thank you for it. We thank you he receives right now in yes. Jesus' precious name. Yes. And now just begin to speak out of your spirit those words. I lay hands on my sister according, there's the Spirit of God. You're already filled with the Holy Ghost, sweetheart. You'd already asked. 
whether it was at home by your bed or where it was, but you're already full of God. Now just release what's on the inside of you. Blessed be Jesus. We lay hands on our brother according to the commandment of the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the power of God released in his life. Receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. That's it. Boldly speak. Begin to speak in the name of Jesus. You've got it. You're filled with the Holy Hallelujah. You want to pray together or you want to start on one end? Let's go together. All right. Praise God. Receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Don't be afraid of the word go. Don't be afraid of the word go. Don't be afraid of the word go. Because the power of God's yours. We bless you, Father, for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Bolder, bolder, deeper, deeper, bolder, bolder, deeper and wider. For a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost on my sister, my precious, this precious life that she's given to you, Lord. You always burned up the offering right on the right. The sacrifice just was burned and consumed on the altar, Lord. We thank you for her life that she's given to you. Spirit of God, wind of God, power of God is hers in the name of Jesus. The fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Oh, a fresh infilling of the Spirit in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gateway into power, the gateway into the gifts of power, the gateway into the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, the gateway into the move of the Spirit. Oh, be filled with a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost. Yes, do so. We lay hands on you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for a fresh infilling of the Spirit. Yes, do so. 
Yes, Father, for a fresh infilling, a fresh move of God in our life, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Kuralakaye do Ramalakastes. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God. Be filled with the power of God. Oh, be filled with the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, a power of God flowing. The power of God moving. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the rest of faith. I'll speak to you by the Spirit. But this is the rest of faith. And the devil tried to bring disaster, but you caught it in time. And you caught it in time, and you'll never know the heartache. You'll never know the tragedy. And you'll never have to fight fights because you got the victory now. In the same manner, the Spirit of God is speaking to you. Press in. And there will be many other times that will not even raise their ugly head. And you'll never, never know, and you never need to, because that's the rest of faith. Be healed, behold, in the name of Jesus. It will not carry on. There is something in generations that are cut off in this line, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Rita, God. Oh, Ramalakasita Ramokoro. Eh, Ramalakasisa da Ramaleke. Eh, Ruda Ramalakastese. Oh, be filled with a fresh and filling of the Spirit of God. A fresh and filling with the power of God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We stir ourselves up. We thank you, Lord. We stir ourselves up in the name of Jesus. Oh, it's not because of some dark specter of the past. Because nothing, nothing has any power over you where the blood has been shed, where the blood covers. That's nothing, nothing moves forward but the power of God bubbling out of your heart in the name of Jesus. We bless you, Lord, for a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. Oh, Ramate Kisito Robo de Mekeste. Bre Rebalo Kuramanareme de Oh, consume this sacrifice laid upon the altar. Let the power of God burn. I Ramando In the name of Jesus, be filled with the power of God. Let the power of the Spirit of God flow. Oh, Ramabari Misti Sato Koramana. Esta Soho Ramaleki Doko. Embro Ramaneni Midikistisi. E Brahma Maria Robocosto Soho. Este se. Stir to the very core. Let the power of God flow. Bubble up, bubble up, bubble up. Let the power of the Lord flow. Receive. 
the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Oh, I'm thirsty for you, Lord. I'm hungry for you, Lord. Let a fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost flow. A fresh empowerment of the Holy Ghost flow. Glory to God. Let the power of God flow into my sister's life. Receive a fresh infilling of the power of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. Receive a fresh infilling of the Spirit of the Lord. Be filled in Jesus' name. A fresh infilling of the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Receive a fresh infilling of the Spirit of the Lord in Jesus' name. Put your hands up and worship Him. Hallelujah. This life is yours, Lord. This life is yours. Be filled with the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. A fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. A fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost. Thank you that all that you have, all that you've planned. Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What is it Paul said? I'll sing with my understanding, but I'll sing with my spirit. Let's sing with our spirit right now. I want to encourage you to have a spirit-filled life and pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Spirit when you lay down in your bed before you wake up in the morning. I know one brother, he said, I want to pray in the Spirit, so I'm going to I step into the shower in the morning. I'm going to start speaking in tongues. And then and it'll give me five or ten minutes of praying in tongues every day. And, and his entire life and business changed. Because why? When you speak in tongues, you identify, you locate your spirit. And when you exercise that, your spirit, his voice gets louder. That, that place where hunches are, that place where we're led by the inward voice 
As you pray in tongues, you, you recognize where it is. And it's not in your mind. It's important to understand. It's coming out of your spirit or your heart. My father died suffering from Alzheimer's. He lost his mind. And uh, it's a terrible way to go. But you know, one thing that amazed me is I'd, I would, he, would, he would come into church. We'd bring him in. And we'd start to worship. He'd lift his hands. He couldn't, he couldn't hold a conversation with you, but he could sing in tongues. Because it's his spirit. It's out of your spirit. Out of your spirit. And out of your spirit will flow mysteries. That's your future. What He wants you to do. What He wants you to say. Where He wants you to go. When I was just a young man, I don't know, 19, 20 years old, I was invited to preach in a Baptist church and I was so intimidated. Some people didn't know, know that because I, would just, I wouldn't let you know it. But I was scared. And so what do you do? Well, I just thought, well, I'll just pray in tongues. So at midnight on Saturday night, I started praying in tongues. I prayed all night long. I didn't sleep. I prayed. I went and got in my car in the morning. I drove to this Baptist church praying in tongues. I got into the Baptist church praying in tongues. And you know you can pray under your breath. Can you think thoughts in your head and I don't hear it? You can pray in tongues out of your spirit inside. I prayed in tongues all the way up into that pulpit. And I had, a, I had one sermon when I walked up in my notes. But as soon as I got behind the pulpit, I had a new sermon. And I preached a sermon I'd never preached before. And it's interesting. I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. But then I gave an altar call and on the right hand side a young man came and he rededicated his life. Actually, he got saved. And then on the other hand side, a woman came forward rededicated her life. They ended up getting married. And they're still pastoring today. To go from not born again to pastoring. See, the mysteries of God are tied up in that. Somebody say, well, how do you do that? You don't know. Pray it out. It's in your life. The miracles of God are in you. Stir yourself up. It's a constant refreshing. This is the rest, the Bible says, and this is the refreshing. Now, I know the pastor went long. I don't want to go that much longer. But how many of you are blessed tonight? It won't mean anything if you don't take it home with you. It won't mean anything if you don't take it home with you. Take it home in your car. Don't be afraid to pray out in loud in tongues. Go, go down to the center of Lancaster. You'll, people, you'll hear people saying weird things on the street. They got perforated bodies and colored hair, and, and they're not ashamed of who they are. Amen. One more time, let's just sing in the Holy Ghost, minstrel. Son, 
Lead us in a chorus, a tune that we all know, that we can sing to in tongues. Okay. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's the last one. Let's have the rest of the team come up then. Is that all right, Pastor? Yep. That's just the last one. What's that? Good. We don't need the words right away, though, because we're going to sing in the spirit, right? Yeah. as you go through your week pray in your spirit sing in your spirit you know find a a hymn a song that you know real well and just sing it in tongues instead I do that all the time I I don't know how to make up tunes but I can sing in tongues to tunes I know right so you sing in your spirit and allow the mysteries of God to be spoken out to be declared out and believe for God's best for you and through you so that you can be that bold witness and the kingdom of light expand greater than ever before. Next weekend, all of you are invited to come back and um, Apostle Dale is going to be ministering. My wife and I are going to be um, away doing a wedding ceremony in Oregon, so keep us in your prayer. Also, everybody is invited. I will be speaking at Threshold Church tomorrow evening. The service begins at 5 p.m. So if you're wondering where that is, just Google Threshold Church, and it's down in Lancaster, and um, everyone's invited.
Enjoy your time. Love on each other. Love Jesus. Amen. everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So glad to see each and every one of you. Thanks for showing up. We really appreciate your presence in our assembly here tonight. And I would love to encourage you in the Word of God for our worship. In Psalms 84, it says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul long just even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They shall be still praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. They go from strength to strength. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a what? doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright before him. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. Everybody say this, that you know it. Uh, Proverbs 3, 4, and 5, I believe. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all our ways. And he shall direct thy path. What a great, great uh, Proverbs for us to live by. Let's stand up together as the family of God in the body and let's worship our one true God, Jesus Christ. Before you start that, Steve, hang on. Better is one day in our courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day. alive. He rose again from the dead. Jesus is God, came down from heaven, took on flesh and blood, came, became a part of his creation. Imagine that. 
God becoming his creation. What a God. What a fabulous, faithful, good God we have. And he rose again from the dead. He's the only God who ever rose again from the dead. And he's alive. He's alive in me. That's something to celebrate. That's something to say hallelujah about. Let's hear a hallelujah. He's so good. He's so faithful. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I know you say that a lot every day because Jesus is in you. He's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Ever present. He's our ever present. You know, when he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, he meant that. See, before he rose again from the dead, he was limited to a body. He was in one place at one time. But when he rose again with that resurrection power, his glorified body enabled him to be everywhere all the time. He's with you and you and you and you. When he said, I'll never leave you, he meant it. He's ever present. He's an ever present Savior. Let's just lift our hands and say, Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We rejoice and celebrate with your presence here with us tonight. We give you all the glory and all the praise. Amen. Well, the children, you want the children excused right now? May be excused. We bless them as they go to their classrooms. We thank you for the teachers that are involved. And we thank you for these little ones, oh my goodness, that are growing up in the things of God, being trained by the word of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts. The thousands of Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Well, take a moment, because one way we love God is by loving one another. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Well, good evening again. It's good to be here tonight. Looks like we have a lighter crowd, but that's okay. We're going to worship the Lord, learn from Him. All right, well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. I'm just going to share with you some things that I was reading today in Isaiah. So you can turn on over to Isaiah. We're going to just jump around a little bit. You know, when we tithe to the Lord or give an offering, first of all, it needs to come from a right heart. But when we do it from a right heart, we're demonstrating uh, that God has lordship in our life. It's giving him place. But that begins in your heart. You know, you don't just, you didn't give God place in your heart just because of an outward thing. That will come, but it has to start first in your heart. It's shown what you believe on the inside, what is done in your heart, comes out of your heart, or comes out outwardly. And he's worthy of it. He's worthy of yielding everything. He's worthy of all our honor. Anything we could give him, our glory, praise. And I just was stirred up with... 
I was stirred up today. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's all good. Just who, what kind of a God that we serve? That he's worthy of our life. He's worthy of lordship. He's worthy of giving him that first place in our heart. You know, in Isaiah 42, it says this. He says, he created the heavens and the earth, and everything that comes from it. Um, says that the people, he says he gives breath to the people on it, and the spirit to those who walk in it, to the earth. So your very breath, very spirit, it, it's from him. Isaiah 44, 6 says this, As thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Isaiah 43, 11 says this, says, I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. 41, 13 says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not. I am the one who helps you. 17, same chapter, says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. See, this is our God. There is none besides him. He's worthy of your heart. He's worthy of giving him that place, that first place. We just need to have this. When we come in to give him the tithe, it's, we're demonstrating this lordship. And you're not giving it to man. You're not giving it to the church. You're giving it to the Lord. So I just wanted to stir you up in this of who he is, what you're doing when you're tithing, what you're saying you know, from, from the heart of Lord, you're my God, and there, besides you, I have no Savior. He is the only one. You know, Hebrews 7, 8 says this, says, Here, men that die receive tithes, but there, he receives them. So, yes, there is a physical uh, realm where people are physically receiving what you're giving to the Lord, but don't mistake that something spiritual is taking place when we obey the word like this. So let's take a hold of it and let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that you are a rock like no other, that there is no Savior but you, and your eye is upon us, and you are there to help us, and you see our need, you see every obstacle we could ever, ever come up against, and you have an answer for us. So we're just grateful, and so we're glad to return the tenth to you, and we gladly give you our honor, our worship, anything, any gift we could ever present you, Lord, we're glad to do it. And just show us how to honor you more. Show us how to give you more place and worship you in the way that you want to be worshiped and served. So we're just grateful tonight, Lord. And I just ask that you bless these tithers, that if there's any needs in the house, Lord, that you bring the answer. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and amen. We'll give to you who? 
the Lord. The ushers can pass the baskets. All right. Um, two things I wanted to mention in the bulletin. We are starting a new home group series, so those of you that are already part of a home group, I'm sure your leaders have been uh, in contact with you, giving you the new material. It's going to be another Keith Moore series, Victory Over Death. So um, be looking for that. That's going to be starting the week of April 25th. If you haven't joined a group, now you can. So... So you have time to, to join, uh, talk to Debbie or somebody that's part of a home group. Um, a couple date changes. So the ladies' breakfast is now going to be Saturday, May 22nd, and the men's breakfast is going to be Saturday, May 29th. So if you marked your calendars, fix it, because you don't want to show up and no one's here. So, All right, well, Troy, you have a couple of things to share with us. I don't know about you, but I had fun at that fundraiser last night. <laughs> Thank you. Well, last night was the Ghana Initiative uh, benefit function. It was a fundraiser gala. We had a, a whole lot of fun, as, as was already said. There were lots of people here. This place was set up as, as a banquet facility, and it was, it was just amazing. So I, I'm up here to thank you. I'm up here to thank everyone that's here in this congregation for their prayers, for your encouragement, for your support, and for your financial giving. It was, it was amazing. I have to say that when I was up in the front here and I was making announcements as to the items that were coming up for bid, I had tears in my eyes several times, and my wife, she saw it. Um, I was just overwhelmed by the support that came from the people here. Uh, so I, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I know some of you are wondering, well, what did we bring in from the auction event and the raffle and all of the other things? And I can tell you that next week. No, I'll tell you now. Um, I, 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 we, we have a, a tentative total, but it is an incredible total. We had $16,471. So... Thanks to all of you. And what's cool is I say a tentative total because what typically happens is the days and weeks go on, people send in more and, and the giving goes up. So when we get to a final total, I'll certainly let you know that. But God is incredibly good, and you are too. Thank you so much. I concur that last night was a wonderful time. I smiled a number of times later in the night at home alone thinking about events and things that had happened, and just the, uh, the joy of giving, the joy of giving. You know, the Word says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But you know, in order for you to give, there has to be somebody to receive too, so it takes both. And so, um, I, when I was a child, I, I was raised in a single-parent home because my father had passed away, and in an auto accident, and so there was many times where we weren't sure how the groceries were going to arrive at the table, and people would come and they would give, and um, I remember as a child thinking how amazing that must be to be the giver, even though we were the one being blessed, that was really instilled in my heart that someday that's going to be me. And I didn't know anything about believing God for prosperity and to be enabled to do that or any of that. And um, the Lord is faithful. So hallelujah, thank you for coming out last night. A few things we want to uh, go over um, before we get into the sermon. Find my notes on this. 
I was speaking uh, yesterday by video call with Sky Barkley with the Free Burma Rangers, and he's in Burma right now, and so he was giving me an update and um, on what's going on over there. And as if you follow the news at all, you know that on February 1st there was a coup by the army, and they took the people that were in power and took them away. And um, because of what's happened, kind of the veil over the eyes of the people has been lifted because they now realize that these guys were the ones that were running the country all along, and the leaders were just puppets in place. And so in this process, there's been protests by Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, all marching the streets together. Over 700 of them have been shot. And so it is an ugly situation. 24,000 of them are uh, displaced in the country. And so um, what Sky asked me, he said, please pray for several things. Pray that for, for FBR, the Free Burma Rangers, as they train and equip people to uh, confront the crisis and to minister the love and mercy and, and provision of God into it. So pray for them as they do that, that they'd have wisdom on how to do it. And then secondly, he said, pray for Burma and the Burmese people that they would um, really find the Lord through this and true liberty through it as well. So if you would, as you put them on your prayer list and, and pray in accordance with their faith. How many know, we said it already, that God's faithful Right? He's extremely faithful. And he watches over his word to perform it, is what Jeremiah tells us. And so the Lord is looking around saying, Who's going to believe me? Who's going to take me at what I said? And he's watching to actually bring it to pass. And so I'm really grateful that not Jesus said not, not one word is going to go unfulfilled. And so it, it all comes to pass. I want to um, share a few testimonies with you of God's goodness, of His faithfulness. Um, Alan Lee and uh, Kevin and Kelly Burroughs. So in, let's start with you, Alan. We have just come off of a series on healing, right? Um, 30, I think it was 31, maybe two reasons, I'm not sure anymore on why we believe in healing, as well as then a hundred things God said about it. And um, what I expected to come out of that was for us to be more solid than ever before in the healing power of God, and for story after story after story, like what we're going to hear tonight, of taking place. Amen. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> you hear me now? Let's check, check. Um, God is faithful. So, we came home from church last Saturday night and, uh, you know, brought the kids in and uh, realized that our youngest was driving a very hot fever. And, um, you know, I've been in similar situations and, and I know what it's like when, when fear shows up. And, and fear just doesn't just knock. It's more like a hornet swarming around your head, you know, and you're swinging at it or whatever. And the logic side of your brain is trying to say, okay, what's in the medicine cabinet? You know, what's the doctor's phone number? What's the age and weight of the child, et cetera, et cetera? But not that Saturday night. I felt faith rise up in me. I mean faith. And I, I know faith because, because there was no fear there. And uh, so we had, you know, we, we had her and she was hot. And 
Um, I looked over at my wife and I said, I have 130 reasons. <laughs> it is the will of God for her to be healed. So we agreed in prayer. Uh, we believed, we received, and we thanked the Lord for, for the manifestation of his word. Of course, we got the thermometer out and, and took a check because we're not going to be denying the situation, right? I mean, what's the temperature at? Let's get the number. Um, but we are going to deny its right to her body, yeah, all right? That's right. I mean, the truth is that God sent his word and healed her, and that's what we're going to stand on. So after praying and believing, I just I walked around the bedroom just praising God. I thank you, Lord, you know, that you're king of kings and lord of lords. And I just, I just praised the Lord, and I just thanked him for the results. Um, five minutes passed, we took another reading. Uh, no change. Well, we're going to keep praising the Lord anyways. It doesn't matter what we see in the natural. Five more minutes, my wife says, hey, it, it broke. The temperature broke. Well, let's get the thermometer out and make sure. You know, we took another reading and, hey, it's back to normal. Praise God, you know, but I, that, that was a miracle right there. I mean, that was a healing power right there. So I said, well, I'm going to just keep praising the Lord and we'll take another reading five minutes. I mean... You know, I'm not expecting it to, to come back. And um, so five minutes later, we took another reading, and it was clear. So hallelujah. And, you know, when we got that, well, those final readings, you know, it didn't change the way we were praising the Lord because we had already seen it and expected the answer before it came. So when it came, it was, it was here. It was already. I mean, we were glorifying God for it. And, well, then at 2 a.m., she woke up. She had another fever. But you know what? We know how this is going to go. We got this. We got this. So we took a reading. It wasn't great. Um, so we agreed, believed. Thank God that we received it. And eight minutes later, boom, it broke. The fever broke, and it was back to normal. So next day, we didn't have any issues. And so I just I want to encourage you, you know, that 130 reasons, and just keep putting it in, putting it in, so that faith, you know, faith cometh by hearing, so that when you're in that situation, you know, the faith comes out, not the fear. So praise God. Thank you. That's so good. And God is faithful, right? Yeah. Faithful, faithful. He's faithful with his word. And uh, he's, he's able to perform it, well able to. Uh, you know, 2013, 14, I forget the year. My wife could probably tell you the date. Uh, we were at a friend's house, and my son was really young. Uh, and uh, I've never seen anybody uh, projectile vomit. Well, that day I did for the first time, and it frankly just missed me. But um, we were, <laughs> my son had some eggs for the first time uh, in his life, and apparently his body didn't like it at the time. Well, uh, that led a journey of, you know, we're not going to give him eggs, right? Um, and uh, that led us up to about a month or three weeks ago, something like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's more than just eggs. There's, there's several things there. Eggs, peanut butter, uh, shellfish, etc. But and we've been to the allergist doctor and done that whole bit. But we, uh, about three weeks ago, maybe roughly, again, you could probably tell us the date. Uh, <laughs> we, um, we were having, we were, we were at night and we were having breakfast at night. Everybody likes to have breakfast at night? It was awesome. Um, my wife did very well cooking there. But she was making egg sandwiches. And all of a sudden, I was at the island, Millie was facing me, I was facing her, and Nathan was over here, and he goes, I want an egg sandwich. 
And Millie, both of us, not just her, but normally, you know, we would just say, no, no, we're making something different. And she did say that. She's like, oh, I got something else for you, Nathan. And, and I looked, I got to see Nathan when he said it. And I recognized fear, uh, faith. I recognized faith. I've seen fear. I've seen him deal with fear in the past. I recognized faith in that moment. And I'm like, wait a minute, Millie. That's faith. And, and Nathan didn't even blink. I was like, yeah, faith, of course, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, he's going to have an egg sandwich tonight. You want an egg sandwich? You're going to have an egg sandwich tonight. And we're going to believe with you tonight, Nathan, that you're going to have no effect. And, of course, the story goes, he had the egg sandwich and no effect. And we asked him afterwards. Yeah, that's great, right? Yeah. We asked him afterwards. Um, actually, I think it was a day, a couple days later, we were having eggs for breakfast or something. And I'm like, oh, you want some eggs? He's like, no, no, thank you. Actually, he said, no, thank you. And I'm like, really? Why not? He's like, eh, I don't like the texture. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> no problems with the stomach, but he doesn't like it now. Well, um, it, it was like about a week later, or at less than a week later, uh, we had somebody at the church. What's that? Our cousins came. I th- we had somebody in our church, I think it was Mim, gave uh, us some peanut butter, uh, the chocolate peanut butter mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. and with the coconuts, which are absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Go to Mim, <laughs> uh, order them, uh, and they're incredible. But anyways, uh, I was eating the coconut. I liked the coconut a lot. And, and Nathan asked me for one. And I was like, I can be a kid too. I felt like that. At the moment, I'm like, I'm just going to give him the, chocolate, the, the peanut butter one. He wants one. I'm like, you want one? Here you go. <laughs> so I gave, he knew that it was peanut butter too. And he's like, I can eat that. So he, he ate it. No problems again. I was like, praise the Lord, you know. And, you know, I'll let Millie tell the rest because she's, she's really good at this. So, so um. Although that may sound like a really easy thing, oh, well, he ate some peanut butter eggs. This was a child who eating peanut butter eggs would cause him to be violently ill for the whole rest of the day that he ate it and or end up in the ER. So for us, this was huge. And so we started seeing time after time his faith start to rise up and him start to take ownership of, of that. And he so he... Um, our cousins were here a couple weeks ago, and so he proceeded to have more peanut butter, and she's an amazing cook, so she made some amazing breakfasts, and he decided that he wanted to try her breakfast again. So he did. He had a sandwich, a huge egg sandwich and a half, and no problems. And so um, I had an allergy appointment, doctor appointment, just routine yesterday morning for him. They like to see him every six months. So we went in. I wasn't particularly looking forward to going there, but I took him in anyways. And um, typically they would do the skin patch testing, and just it's just a long, drawn-out appointment. So anyhow, we go in, and it was unusually easy. And uh, she's just you know, asking some questions, and he starts talking, which he's never talked to her before, this doctor that we've seen since he was young. And he starts telling her, you know, I had eggs and peanut butter, and nothing happened. Like, he was just really excited. And so um, she's kind of looking like that's not possible, because last year at this time, the bubbles on his back when they do the skin patch testing, were there was bubbles on the bubbles. 
which means a severe reaction, severe allergy. So um, she starts asking me all kinds of questions, not really believing, and then she says, all right, well, let's take a look at you, sir. If you're as good as your mom says you are, then uh, you're out of here, and we'll be taking peanuts and eggs off your allergy list. So she checks them out, and uh, she confirms, yep, he looks great. And so she says, well, I guess you did your own food challenge. She said, um, mostly at this point at his age, we'd be putting this child on allergy shots, and he'd be coming in here to do all kinds of food challenges to see if he can even ever have those things. And she said, well, guess you passed your own, own uh, test. So uh, as quickly as he had been diagnosed with that, it, she just took it right off his list. And she said, um, yeah, he can have all this stuff. So praise the Lord. <laughs> you, know, you know what's cool, too, is that uh, we give God the complete glory, but the children's ministry and others that are in the church that have uh, influenced his life all have a part to play. I've seen things happen over the years with other people in the church, and I've heard things from the children's ministry. So thank you to our children's ministry. Too. Yeah. So hang on to the mic. I have a few questions. So, you know, like you mentioned a little bit ago, that just listening to it now in five minutes, it sounds easy. But for how many years have you guys been believing the Word of God, declaring the Word of God over His body, saying that He's coming out of this? Yeah. Uh, how long has it been? I mean, you said 13, 14? He was five months. Yeah. He, he was, so just for those of you who don't know Nathan, he was uh, at five months old, I had to take him into uh, to the emergency room because his throat was closing up. He was having severe allergic reactions. And at five months old, he was diagnosed with a host of allergies and asthma. And they said, well, we don't usually do this for a five-month-old, but he clearly has all kinds of issues. So he's, he'll be nine this year. So it's been a long, long journey of believing. Nine. Yeah. So some of you remember when he was a little baby, the horrible like skin conditions and things that were going on for him. We were uh, babysitting him at our, at our house, Jen was at the time, mm -hmm. and so we got to see firsthand the, the terribleness of what he was dealing with, and what would have happened if six months ago they would have been like, I don't know, I guess it's not God's will to heal him. I, I guess we'll just, I don't know, throw in the towel, and this is our lot in life. Do you think he would be healed now? No. But you know, faith... When your faith is tried, that means time is clicking by and you haven't received what you're believing for yet. Yeah. So don't give up if you're in that place. Yeah. You know, if you're here and, and you're believing for some disease, something to be broken off your body, for you to be delivered from something or for you to become pregnant or whatever it is, don't give up, right? But believe God. Yeah. Believe what He said and it will be yours. Yeah. Amen? Right. Yeah, we can learn from a kid. Yes, yes, the, the faith of a child, yeah, right? That's right. Thank yeah. you. Hallelujah. That's awesome. <laughs> Woo! Nah, I got to do something else yet. Put up um, Romans 8 on the board. Put it in the New King James. Romans 8, verse 2. Let's look at that a little bit before we go further. Romans 8, verse 2. This is one of my favorite verses, especially over the last year it became that because of the 
um, so-called pandemic that this nation and the world was going through, right? And there was a lot of unknowns. And there was a lot, you know, maybe this thing is, especially in the beginning, maybe it is real super deadly. Maybe it isn't. Either way, we know that our deliverance comes from the Lord, right? And so this verse, if you put it up on the screen, this verse, uh, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free or has set me free from the law of sin and death. And here is our reality. The law of the spirit of life. It's a real living spirit. And his law is a law of life. And that law of life exempts you from the law of sin and death. That word set me free, it means to uh, be delivered, to be made free, to be exempted. Is exempted a word? Yeah. Yeah. To be exempted from the law of sin and death. Isn't that just so amazing? That we can have people with, with asthma, we can have people with other allergies and disease and, and whatever it is going on for you, but you are exempt from that law of death and of sin. And so you need to, in fact, stand up with me. Let's just declare this together. The law of the Spirit of life has set me free has exempted me and delivered me from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Someone say, I am free. I am exempt. Praise the Lord. Now look to your neighbor. Say, you are more than a conqueror. Now look to your other neighbor and say, I see victory on you. Now put a finger on your own self and say, God has something good for me. And I believe it. All right, you may be seated.